Okay, stand with me, and we'll read John chapter 5, and we'll read from verses 1 to 20. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. And they were waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease in which he was afflicted. And a certain man was there who had been 38 years in his sickness. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Arise, take up your pallet, and walk. And immediately the man became well and took up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day, and therefore the Jews were saying to him, Who was cured, It is the Sabbath, it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the, was the one who said to me, Take up your pallet and walk. And they said to him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your pallet and walk? But he who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. And after Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin any more, so that nothing worse may befall you. So the man went away and told the Jews, that it was Jesus who had made him well. And for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. And for this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling, his, calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus therefore answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word. Um, Just pray you can use your spirit to open our hearts today to your truths. guide my words and uh, disregard anything that is not from you Um, and uh, I just pray we can walk away with a better understanding of of how you work in our lives and um, how we can share that with other people in your holy name, amen alright so today is uh, going to be interesting for me. I have never really preached a sermon that's kind of been like this before. Um, I'm not going to give you too much information. I don't want to spoil the beans, per se. Um, so I come with uh, fear and trembling, um, but I'm also looking forward to your pushbacks and, and challenges in the dialogue. Um, I, I see this sermon as maybe one of many 
um, as we have further questions and we um, discuss further how to apply this and, and work it into our, into our lives. I also realized that um, not that long ago, Andrew also has already preached on this passage. Um, our church, for those that weren't here, went through the book of John already. And I also, going through his notes, think he missed tons of stuff. Just kidding, no, he didn't. Um, I don't want to spend too much time rehashing the truths that Andrew uh, talked about, but I actually want to focus more on the responses to um, the Jewish people that uh, witnessed the healed man. And what really inspired me today um, for this message and this passage was actually John and Charlene. Um, When John taught us from the word, um, he used this passage quite often. Uh, Specifically verse 19, actually, um, when he says here, the son can do nothing of himself unless the father, unless he sees something that the father is doing. So I thought it would be fitting for us as a church to dive into this a little more as we're trying to walk through a lot of what John and, and Charlene has taught us. So just in case people missed Andrew's sermon on the passage, I want to do a quick run-through of the heel and pick up some of the key observations that are in there. So painting the scene, we start in verse 2. And there we see he's in Jerusalem, and there was a pool called Bethesda, and it had five porticles, which essentially are these hallways to the pool. This pool now was also known to grant healing to the first person to get into the water after it was stirred up by the angel of the Lord, from verse 4. And in these porticles, so we have five of them, in these porticles was a multitude of people who were either sick, blind, lame, or withered. So you can imagine the scene, five hallways filled with multitudes of people of ill people. So Jesus now focuses, his focus turns to one man who had been sick for 38 years. And Jesus asks him the question, do you want to get well? And this man's answer to Jesus' question actually helps us see his level of desperation and brokenness. There's four key observations from his answer that I don't want you to miss. The first one is, the man, actually I'll read you his answer first, actually, sorry. The sick man, in verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into this pool when the water is stirred. But while I'm coming, another one steps steps down before me. And this is the answer that uh, from that question that Jesus said, do you want to get well? The first observation I don't want you to miss is that the man actually doesn't seem to have any friends or family. He's alone. I imagine if someone was this ill and was this desperate to get well, you'd think if he had close family or friends that they would be assisting him in this. But he looks alone. The second thing I don't want you to miss is his condition makes him physically incapable of getting himself in the pool before someone else. While I am coming, another one steps down before me. So he's not quick enough. Now, that doesn't uh, describe his condition perfectly, but I imagine um, he must 
his legs must be some version of paralyzed that he can't actually use them. The third thing, the man has been at this pool a minimum of one season of the stirring, if not more. Considering that he can tell us his experience of defeat when he can't make it into the pool. <clears throat> this man is so desperate and he's so out of options that he's, he's actually continually staying in this pool to just one day hope somehow to beat someone in it. And lastly, he actually has no clue that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, is standing in his presence asking him this question. The fact that when Jesus asks him if he wants to get well, that he doesn't even consider that Jesus is a possibility, tells us that he doesn't even know that who Jesus is and that he's even there. So moving forward, Jesus then tells him to pick up his pallet and walk, and he's healed. The Bible has a funny way of describing miraculous things sometimes. It is very matter-of-fact. Um, he tells him to pick up his pallet and walk, and immediately this, the, the man was healed and took up his pallet and walked. So it's very factual, uh, but in reality, um, God, it's amazing that God actually made this man's bones, ligaments, muscles completely repaired after 38 years of being ill. And then the Bible has a funny way sometimes of being so short and factual that it just kind of skips over this. But I just thought that was interesting. Verses 10 to 13, now we see the man walking with his pallet, and the Jews are actually more upset that he's working on the Sabbath than the fact that God just healed his sickness. And again, we see in verse 13 a confirmation that the healed man did actually not know Jesus. When they ask him who did that, he says, but he who was healed did not know uh, who it was, for Jesus had slipped away. Jesus now meets back up with the man and tells him not to sin anymore so that nothing worse will befall him. And now that the man knows the source of his healing and who it came, he then goes back to the Jews and tells them who has made him well. And now they're upset. And we pick this up in verse 16. And for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So we, before we get into Jesus' response, I want to make two categories for us to focus on as we move forward. The first one is what did Jesus claim about himself and his relationship with the Father? The second one is how does Jesus work with his Father? The first one we see here in verse 17. It says, but he answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. What's funny about this verse, at first glance, you wouldn't think this statement really should create the type of conflict that happened. Um, Jesus is just doing God's work. And many other Jews and rabbis at the time would have also said similar things that they're doing God's work. The difference, though, is actually how he addressed God the Father. I was fortunate enough to uh, spend about an hour on the phone with Peter Fast this week, just going through why this offended these Jewish people so much. And really what it came down to 
was the word my versus thee. So when you look at the passage, Jesus says, my father is working until now. And this is key because when God delivered Israel from Egypt, he actually said to them that he would be their father and they would be his children. But God from the Old Testament with the Jews was only talked about as our father or the father of Israel. They never personalized God the father to themselves. So when Jesus makes this claim of my father, he's making a much deeper claim by using an almost possessive claim of who God is in his father. Essentially, he's saying my father's work and my work are the same. And that's why the Jews in this passage saw this statement as making Jesus equal with God. Like it says in verse 18, for this cause, there is, Therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So not only was Jesus working on the Sabbath, according to the Jews, but he was also claiming to be equal with God in his work. If you want, you can come with me to John chapter 10. Or if not, you can jot it down and read it later. I'll just read you there. Jesus also describes his relationship with himself and the Father another way. We're going to read verses 22 to 33. At the time, the Feast of the Dedication took place at Jerusalem. 23. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews, therefore, gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense if you are the Christ? Tell us plainly. Jesus answered, answered to them, I told you, you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. This, these bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So again, we see a really cool interchangeable of this language of my and the Again, really, really cool. And at the end of verse 30, how he makes the bold claim saying, I and the Father are one. Now this claim is important to remember as Christians because it is very common in other forms of religion or faiths that actually have history of Jesus um, because they do not claim the same Jesus. For example, in the Mormon faith, um, Jesus was not God, but he was actually born a man. And then through his faith and his walk with God became a God. Now that is very different. It's a very different Jesus and it has very different implications. Because in the Bible, Jesus doesn't say those things. He actually says that he does not do any of God's work 
or miracles on his own will or power, but from his Father. And it's not done to give him any personal reward or strengthen his own faith. It was all done for the Father and from the Father. It's not about making himself to be a God. Jesus is claiming that he and the Father are one, and the work that you see Jesus doing is done in the name of his Father for the Father's glory. And that's a big difference than the Jesus that we see from other faiths. So the second category was how does Jesus work with the Father? Comes again from verse 17. My Father and I, my Father is working until now and I myself am working. So naturally my question came is how is Jesus and the Father working? Jesus answers this in verses 19 and 20. Back in chapter 5. Jesus therefore answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him that you may marvel. Two observations I don't want you to miss from those two verses. One, in verse 19, the Son can do nothing of himself. So again, Jesus is not acting out of his own understanding. He's actually acting in accordance to what he sees the Father doing. Jesus sees his Father working, so he also works. He does not work unless he sees the Father working. Hence, why not in this record at least, not everybody in the pool was healed. Jesus only healed one man in the pool and there was a multitude of sick. And why is that? It's because Jesus did not see his father working aside from this one man. Why? I don't know for sure. But we know that Jesus only does what he sees his father doing. The second observation I don't want you to miss is that God shows Jesus all the work that he's doing. We pick that up in 20. The father loves the son and he shows him all things that he himself is doing. Now, I can't say exactly how he sees it or how God shows him, whether it's a voice, a feeling, a vision, a dream. Nothing, there's no information here that's given to us. But one thing we can say for sure is that God shows us to Jesus He shows what he's doing and where he is working. It's not a mystery. See, God is the source and understanding that Jesus is connected to. It's not of himself. And this is how Jesus knows how to move forward in his ministry with God. And for me, this was pretty impactful. Because in contrast, I've had conversations with people and other Christians where we can't relate as closely to Jesus or the work that Jesus did because he's Jesus. He's fully God, fully man. How could we ever expect to do anything that he did? And what's great about this, Jesus actually says, I'm shown 
what exactly to do. The, the, God the Father shows me. So it's not anything of, him, in him, of himself in Jesus, but actually shown from God the Father. And what's great about that, that also gives us hope. It gives us hope that God can also show us where his work is. Now, I don't disagree that Jesus has a specific connection to God that we can never have because he's God in the flesh. But, again, this passage helps us see that Jesus' power, came, where it came from, and why he's able to do so much. And what's also interesting, and I'll read this to you in Mark 16, verses 15 to 18. Jesus himself commissioned his disciples with the same authority. Verse 15, Mark 16, 15, he says, Go into this world and preach the gospel to all creations. He who has believed has been baptized will be saved, but the one who has disbelieved shall be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who have believed in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with a new tongue. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink my deadly, po- if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Jesus commissioned this to us. And so the same authority and same work that Jesus essentially is doing is we also have that privilege. And because we are adopted into God's family and have a relationship with God and God the Father and his spirit is in us, I believe we can actually work with God when he is working. Whether this is supernaturally, whether it's in loving acts, or through his word and teaching, I think we can work for God and with him. So, how do we know where he is working? I don't want to limit God um, and say that there are only a few ways or one way. And aside from visions, dreams, or an audible voice from God, I think there may be one thing for sure that Jesus does in the Bible that can help put us in a place where maybe God will show us more of where he's working. And it actually comes from prayer. I want you guys to turn with me. We're going to go for five examples. Okay, The first one's in Mark chapter 6. We're going to give five examples of Jesus praying and then what happened after Jesus prayed. Mark chapter 6. We're going to read verses 45 to 51. Give you a sec to turn there. So Jesus just finished feeding the 5,000 in verse 44 and behind that. And verse 45 says, And immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of Bethsaida. While he himself was sending the multitude away, And after bidding them farewell, he departed to the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the midst of the sea, and he was alone in the land. And seeing them straining in the oars, for the wind was against them, 
at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And he intended to pass them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they all saw him and were frightened. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, do not be afraid. And he got out and he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were greatly astonished. So Jesus just finished doing miracles. He goes alone to pray and then walks on water. The next example I want to give you is in actually Mark chapter 1. Just skip a few pages back. Starting in verse 29. And immediately after they had come out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to him and about, about her. And he came to see her, raised her up, taking her by his hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. And when evening had come, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city gathered to them. So it's nighttime now, and the entire city has gathered at his door to get healed. 30, verse 34, he heals many who were ill with various diseases, cast out many demons, and he was not permitting demons to speak because they knew who he was. Now in the early morning, so he's done this all night, and while, he was, while it was still dark, he arose and went out, departed to a lonely place, and was praying there. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. And they found him, and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. He's been spending all night healing. Everyone's looking for him. We probably have more people to heal. Like, you got to come keep going. And he says to them, let us go somewhere else to the town nearby in order that I may preach there also, for that is what I came here for. The reason why I picked this one out again is Jesus prays and God guides him. You can see this massive shift in this ministry of, instead of healing, go here. Uh, Luke chapter 6 is our next one, if you'd like to turn there. Verses 12 and 13. Says there, it was at this time that he went off the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. God spent the entire evening in prayer just to choose the disciples, to get God's in, in his influence and his understanding in order to make that decision. Flip forward a couple chapters to Luke 9. Verses 17 and 18. So again, he um, fed the 5,000, fed 5,000 again. And in 17, it says, They all ate and were satisfied, and the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up, 12 baskets full. And it came about that while he was praying alone, 
again, praying, alone especially, again, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, who do, who do the multitudes say that I am? And then he also questions them further in verse 20 and says, who do you say that I am? And what, again, what stood out this for me was, Jesus spends time in prayer, and then comes with this question to them that actually leads into a massive teaching moment when it comes to the, the, the Messiah and suffering later on. Again, this guidance from the Father after seeking Him and spending time with Him. And last one, just to show you again this further deep relationship with God when it comes to prayer that Jesus has. We're going to go to Matthew 26. So Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, in verse 38. And he says there, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father... If it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Go forward to verse 42. Same scene. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this can pass away unless I if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, thy will be done. And then again in 44, he left them again and went away and prayed a third time saying the same thing once more. In the middle of the hardest thing Jesus had ever done in his life, he's praying to God earnestly. And in his prayer, he's still wanting to serve God above himself. I don't doubt in that time, as Jesus reached out to God, that somehow God comforted Jesus. Somehow he gave him the courage to willingly go to that cross. They had such a deep, intense relationship with prayer and connection in that way. And I use these examples to show you that Jesus put himself in a place to communicate and hear and see what God was doing and what he wanted him to do. And I can't say for sure what Jesus experienced when he prayed, but I can say that things happened and direction happened when he spent time alone with God. Even though Jesus was one with God, he also prayed with them. And he talked to the Father and listened to the Father. So coming back to our text here, when Jesus did the work of his Father, he did it in the Father's name because the Father showed him what he was doing. How I think this applies to us as a church, we need to spend more time alone with God. We need to give him a chance to show us where he's working and what he's doing. If that means reading your Bible and praying, or just prayer, or just meditating in silence on his word and his creation, giving him a chance to speak and listen. 
Even an example like John said, if, if you're people that like to take notes, I, John, like he's saying, he keeps a small notepad with him. And when he's with his alone times, he just starts writing down things that come to his mind, whatever that is. It doesn't necessarily mean anything crazy, but it's just working and trying to sense exactly what God might be showing you. So prayer was one way that Jesus worked with God that we can see from our text. And I believe that we can take his leading on that and apply it to ourselves also in our walk with God. So I have three lessons that we can go with today. The first lesson is Jesus claimed to be one with God. And again, this is important because Jesus is not accounted to be the same everywhere. One of the biggest differences you can always find with faith is who Jesus is. And we were talking about this last night. Um, even Mormons and, and Catholics, they, they called themselves Christians. But yet the Jesus is not the same between all three of them. And that's important. So we need to know who the Jesus is that we think the Bible and who Jesus claims he is in the Bible. The second lesson from today is, although Jesus is God, he only heals where God the Father is working. And we can see that in the pool. When there was many sick that he left, he also left the town in Mark to go preach into another town, even though he just spent a bunch of time healing. So it also gives us the chance to, when we know God is working, that we can also expect him to be doing that. And one of the things that was also important from this lesson for me is it also gets discredits the uh, miracles or healing that are founded only on faith. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have a miracle from faith, but in, even in our example in John, the man that was healed didn't even know who Jesus was. And then Jesus himself, after he's healed, claims that it actually didn't even come from him. God was the source of that, and God showed him. So when it comes to us, and we pray for someone that needs healing, but they don't get healed, that is on God, and God's choosing of whether he, where he is working. That has nothing to do with our faith or the person's faith. Third thing, as believers, God can show us where he's working and use prayer to further partner with him to grow his kingdom. Again, this is a strong example, I think, that Jesus showed um, as he did these things. He didn't do them on his own. He didn't do them by himself. He strongly relied on being alone with God and um, emphasizing his time and things happened after Jesus prayed. Um, so yeah, so I look forward to your questions, your pushbacks, um, um, comments, whatever you have. Um, yeah, love to hear them.